Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where you're smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. An Oz property investor, we bring the big names and we have the big fun. And today, that was that was a very quick. My internet's on uh, on on fire today. See what's going on. It's how you going anyway, Melissa? What's what's happening? Hi, thanks for having me. You are you are very welcome. Though, thank thank you. And I I remember listening to a podcast with you, um, probably about three years ago, and I was like, you know, this person seems like that. I I, I very much enjoy having a conversation with this person about their property journey. So I thought. Let's let's get let's get get you on to have that conversation. So, but how are you going, Joe? How was your how was your trip up to Queensland? Have you have you gotten back on time yet? Are your clocks still? Uh, it's it's only an hour, so I am base. I am now in Sydney. Um, but I'm I'm pumped for this session, Mel. You've you have um done incre you've done incredibly well with with property over the years, and you've had a number of stumbles and hurdles along the way. Um, but ultimately, you just kept going. And you've kept going and kept going and kept going, and it's resulted in some some awesome results. And I'm excited to share, like, for you to share your journey of how you got to where you are now, and some of those some of those challenges. Um, I'm pumped for it. But yeah, my, my my day was good. My week was good. I spent last five days in in Brisbane and um, checking out Logan and Moreton Bay and Brisbane surrounds, and um, it's it's amazing up there. Like there is a lot of potential up in like everyone poo poos on logan and I, I struggle to understand it there are definitely pockets where you should not be putting money but it's literally 25 30 minutes away from brisbane city i'm very very bullish on on logan but we can have a bit of a, a deep dive on that a little bit later um but how are you jeff how are you mate yeah, I've, uh, I've upgraded my shirt. It looks like I've, I've, I've uh, I don't think I've ironed it, but no. So it was was a venture to the office. So I think I spent more time traveling by train today than what I did actually working. So um, I'm, I'm excited for that to, to that to finish. Big news coming on that eventually. These are some of the behaviors and some of the habits that have made you such such a successful property investor. So th thanks for thanks for joining us. That's okay. You'll just have to excuse that I don't look at you a lot because my camera is all the way down the bottom of the laptop. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I've seen those. I've seen those cameras. I've seen those laptops, and that uh, you know, like at at work, they used to have theirs on their Zoom, and it's like, can you just pay attention? No, no, I am paying attention. It's just I'm not. <laughs> camera is not paying crazy. attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your quote of the week, Mel? Um. So it's a John McGrath quote. And it's it's the things that um, you don't get to that make you tired, not not the things that you do get to in a day. And I always love that quote because it's you know I get energized from the things that I do. So it's really if I have a day where I'm not productive, that's the day that I feel the most tired. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's interesting you say that because I'm I'm quite similar. Like I've got a I've got a list sometimes of ten to fifteen things I've I've, I've got to do, and it's it's where I haven't ticked any of that off. I'm like, oh great, like what what have I actually achieved? What have I moved forward down down, down the um what what ball have I moved down the down the field today? So yeah, and I, I feel like I've heard that one from uh, on a podcast recently. Maybe it was even from John himself on on the Million Dollar Agent. So I, I listened to those guys, uh, Tommy Panos and. And uh, that other guy, um, Nick, 
what's his name? The the Roosters player, Trent um Trent Trent no, I order his name is. But um yeah, but yeah that's um that's a, a great quote. And should we should we jump into we'll jump into the um the the, the sponsor Joe and, and then we'll we'll introduce the person um before us the person of the hour and the the, the lady who's been doing property for two decades so you look far too young to be been doing property for two decades so I'm excited to hear all the wisdom that you that you've, you've 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 um you've gained from those twenty years. Commercial property offers the highest cash flow in Australian property investing, offering exceptionally higher yields than residential. Now we're talking eight to 10% net yields. That's cash after all expenses, not this two to 6% gross that we see in the residential space. So for those that are starting out on their commercial investing journey, it can be exciting, but it's also a step not to be taken lightly. The expertise of a commercial buyer's agent can pay dividends to help you secure that high cash flow and high growth potential property. And this is why we recommend Steve Polisi of Polisi Property. With over six years experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He has seen it all and knows the best locations right for growth. In a previous life, Steve was a chartered mechanical and structural engineer. So he draws on his mathematical and analytical skills that he's developed to break down what works best in commercial property. As with engineering, same goes with commercial property. It's based primarily on the numbers. So if you're curious about diversifying into commercial property, you have access to $100,000 in cash or in equity, book a call with Steve today and find that perfect asset for you. Here we go. Wow. Thanks for um, thanks thanks for running that, Joe. So I, I can see there's there's a there's a lot more light. Um, yes. I mean, yeah. You turn the light on. Yeah, no, that's 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 fair enough. And I no. reversed I, the laptop, so now instead of looking down, I'm looking up. Wow, I, I just love that ingenuity. Like, how how good is it? Like, if like if if that happened to me, I'd be I'd be I'd be sort of potentially throwing <laughs> soft animals around the around the room. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. So you yeah, have soft, you have, you have soft phone. animals. You have soft no, no, soft, not soft animals. Soft toys. Soft, <laughs> soft animal toys. Not. Yeah. But anyway, my. Uh, Who have we got here? Who have we got here, Jeff? So we have Melissa. So you, you, a lot of people would already know. Particularly if you invested in property in Sydney, they would have seen you out and about uh, at, at a networking function or even sort of on, on, on a forum here or there. But you are the principal of Progressive Property, which which I saw is a really fantastic boutique um, property management firm. And and I, I love my boutiques, ones that sort of really uh, go the extra mile. And, and you've got, with that, you bring over two decades of property investment and development experience. So you've done many deals in your time and, 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 and that's why I'm excited to, to hear. And you also enjoy a fast car or two for those who may have seen a post or, or two. So I, I certainly um, appreciate your, 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 your great tasting cars. So um, yeah, so, so thanks for joining us. And that's, that's, you've done renos, you've done developments, you've, you're a property manager extraordinaire as well. So what have, what, what have we missed? So, Melissa, is there anything I missed out there that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, no, I guess I'm also a mum of two oh, girls, yeah. two young kids. So that, yep. that also keeps me busy. And, Definitely yeah, at the it. moment I'm, I'm juggling between the business and two projects. Wow. Um, oh, wow. And, and trying to do work on my work-life balance um, mm -hmm. and, and try and enjoy life a little bit. Yeah, I, I struggle with that too because the thing I find is like I, I just even tomorrow where I've got 
the day off. I'm like, what am I like? I just struggle to sit still. Like there's, there's just many things I can do, but I'm like, I should enjoy the day and just not think too much about the stuff that I, that I could or should be doing. But yeah, so work-life balance for me, I think it's more about just a life balance, like actually sort of saying, well, what, what are the things that are really important to me and, and, and things that give me energy? So but yeah, I think yeah. that, that, that it's about that, having a that's choice the main point. to, to exactly, do what, yeah, what you yeah. love and not have to go to work if you, that's not what you want to do. Yeah, I kind of want to hear about these two projects, but am I am I am I putting the heart, the cart before the horse show? Or can we should we talk? Should we save that till later? Should we hear yeah, about the cart yeah. from the beginning? Okay, I want to hear. Sure yeah, exactly. I want to hear from. I want to hear about the hard stuff because now you you've advanced on and you've you've been doing incredit. You're doing incredibly well, but. I want people to be like who are at where you were 15, 20 years ago getting started. And how did that, how did that kind of look? And what, can you kind of set the scene for back in the day? We always like to ask, what was your first property purchase? But can you kind of set the scene for the environment from what it looked like from a macro perspective? Cause right now we're in interest rates of uh, point as uh, 2.85 um, just gone up because of the RBA, but a year ago they were at 0 0.1. Um, but I imagine back when you were investing, started your first journey was, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent, you know, there's, there's crazy, crazy numbers. Um, yeah. Can you set the scene a little bit for us? Sure. So, so the year was 2000, so it was 22 years ago. Um, the GST had just been introduced. I was yep. 18 and we thought, well, my parents encouraged me. So they, they said to me, hey, Mel, you should go and get the first homeowner's grant. They introduced that when they did the GST. Yep. Um, so I'd seen an area um, called Potts Point, quite close to you know inner city Sydney. And I could buy a studio there for about a hundred, you know, $130,000. Wow. So they were like, hey, why don't you just go and buy it? The $7,000 will assist. You can live there for a while, get you out of the house. Um, and it, it sort of made great sense to me. Um, and I bought my first property for $105,000. How did, how did you go wow. with the lending? Because you, so you're saying studio was it above the sort of 45 square meter, or was was that an issue back then with lending? It was. So it was 24 square meters. Yep. And I actually had a part time job with a mortgage broker at the time, just doing admin. And they said, "Sure, go. We'll, we'll be able to get you the loan." Then they actually struggled. They got to a point where the lender had said, "Well, it's below 40. We can't do anything." Um, the real estate agent said, go down the road to St. George and the branch manager there will help you. So wow. interestingly, I walked down the road and the branch manager sat me down, went through all my numbers and went pretty much, yep, your loan's approved. Wow. That's, that's, that, that, that's a, that, that, that harkens back to the, I was going to say, where, you, you, where your local branch manager used to do that. And, and even when I was sort of getting into around the sort of early, late 2000s, I sort of, you, you could still do somewhat like that. And I was like, whereas now, I mean, a, a sort of up and coming, like a budding property investor, I go to a local branch manager and they'd be like, what, what are you doing in my branch? Like, this is why we have, I mean, they do have mobile lenders and all that sort of stuff, yeah. but yeah. It's not the same, story. is it? Yeah. And it, it was because that area had so many studios and smaller properties, the bank manager had seen all those day in, day out. And you knew that they were, I mean, the reason the banks don't lend is because they're higher risk or they perceive yeah. to be higher risk. But the branch manager had that familiarity with that market and knew that it really wasn't. It was sort of the bread and butter of that area. Yeah. Wow. Mm, yeah. If he wanted to have his business run, he's going to have to start accepting those assets, right? 
Um, otherwise, he's not going to get half the amount of loans that he normally could. Yeah, so it was it was a great stepping stone. And I actually, for $110,000 that year, I bought an apartment and a car, an RX-7. And, wow. And now the car has gone up so much, it's almost $100,000. Wow. wow. Do you still own it? No, I've bought oh. about and sold about 20 cars since. Oh. <laughs> I, I wow, $100,000 for an RX-7. Jesus. Was it was that one? Was it a vintage? Oh, I mean, yeah, I feel like we got yeah, it. Yeah, it was a 1985 model. And now they're really popular and everyone my age has grown up and got nostalgic and has got the money. So they've gone back to try and buy them. Yeah. Wow. And they, and they say oh, the man. cars don't appreciate that. I mean, some of those vintage cars can or sort of more, more sought after. They're an asset. They're an asset mm -hmm. like any other asset class, I guess. Mm -hmm. So what were, was it that easy for you? Like, was it just $7,000 first home buyer grant studio apartment? Was it, was it super easy? Were there any kind of uh, interesting interesting stories along the way? Um, or did it start to get a little bit more exciting on your next purchase and your subsequent purchases after that? So this first property actually catapulted my property management journey without me realizing. Oh, so I lived there for a little while and I really didn't enjoy it. It was a tiny little room about the size of a bus, right? And it looked into a light well, which was a hole where people threw their rubbish, essentially. And it smelled oh, yeah. like pizza the whole time because there's a pizza shop downstairs. Um, so I lived there a while and I was like, no, this isn't for me. I'm going to tenant it and move out. And my first property manager stuffed up so badly. I ended up at tribunal at 19. Wow. Um, and they'd even gone, like I left my fridge and microwave there when I moved out and the, those tenants had gone and pawned them down at the local pawn shop. And I Whoa. had to go and buy my own appliances back. <laughs> well, that's, um, yes. So, so they, they, they didn't do the appropriate screening checks to sort of see that these people were, were able to, um, sort of were, were good tenants or quality tenants. Yeah. yeah. And they'd also left the arrears so long that they had, a, by the time we went to tribunal, they were something like 11 or 12 weeks behind when they really shouldn't have gone to that point at all. Mm. Yeah. But it's you that has to pay it because you're the investor. Yeah. And I got to a point where I was like, well, I'm going to manage my own properties from here on. I, I think I can do a, a better job than what's happened so far. Um, and so since I was 19, I ended up managing sort of all my own Sydney properties. So it really was the start of the property management. Wow. And do you still own that property? No. So I sold that a couple of years later. I'd done a cosmetic reno and the market okay. had actually gone up in the early 2000s. Um, and it actually, I sold it for 165,000. So it was a really good growth in a couple of years. Wow. That's a that's close to that's about sort of forty percent forty percent growth roughly. Yeah. Did you, what did you buy it for one one twenty? One oh five. One oh five. Okay. Yeah. There you so go. So it was it was great because that released some of the funds for me to go and buy a bigger property, and in the meanwhile, I'd actually gone to Brisbane um, and bought another property in Brisbane when I, in two thousand and one. Wow. So why Brisbane? Why the jump to all the way up there when you when you're living in Sydney. So I went up there to see a friend and I just happened to, you know, keep an eye on the property as you do. <laughs> and I went, wow, these properties, like I bought a, a little 36 square meter one bedroom. Um, I pay, paid 97,000 for it and it was renting for $170. The returns were amazing in Brisbane in early um, 2000s in the inner city market. And I just went, well, this sort of makes sense. 
um if i can afford it why not yeah 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 how did, yeah, how did, how did, how did the loan for the, the second property up in Brisbane go? Did you go to that same branch manager at St. George? or did... No, so I actually couldn't afford it. I had to borrow some money from my parents oh, yeah, yeah. for the deposit. And they said to me, but why do you want another property? You already have one. <laughs> and so I kind of had to talk them into why you know I wanted to do it. And they lent me the deposit and the stamp duty. And then I think I went to the same bank, but I don't think it was the same branch manager. I think things had started changing and the branch manager was sort of, you know, not not so prevalent anymore. Um, but I did go through, I think it was in George for that loan as well. And 36 square metres was a little bit better than 24. So they were okay with that. Wow. So what, what you, you mentioned there, your sort of parents um, had that or sort of, I'm just interested to sort of unpack some of that because your, your parents said, why do you want a second property? You've already got one. How, where did you get the property investment bug from? Like if it wasn't, was there other influences or where did you get that from? So I think the penny actually dropped for me as I was sort of living in the studio. I could see values rising. I, you know, could see, I was just getting more and more interested in property really. And so I started reading. I read a lot of those early books, Jan Summers, Myra Lomas, um, yeah. and I was getting the train into work every day. And I, the more I was stuck on public transport, the more I read because it was just a good distraction. So I really got sort of interested in wealth creation and, and using property um, as a means of getting to that wealth. So I think it sort of clicked for me, even though I was 19 or 20 at the time, that if I bought another property and the returns were good, I was sort of would help me on onto my way. Wow, yeah, that's um, that's that's really um, for anybody sort of watching at home and sort of thinks, oh, yeah, I mean, yes, these properties were a hundred thousand dollars, but at at that time, hundred thousand dollars was a good amount, a good chunk of change. So I hope some some there's some young budding property investors who may have sort of mm -hmm. have not bought their first first property or just have one or two, and are like what? That, hopefully they're sort of soaking that all in, just sort of saying like sort of thinking about their their education and sort of getting into property so what was yeah what the, were you what were you doing as a, in work what was your job while you were buying these bought these first ones so i was working at macquarie bank i i did an it degree um and i didn't like it that much anymore so i, I decided <laughs> i um wanted to work for a, a corporate company so i went to macquarie in operations and mm -hmm. then I asked them to move me into real estate, into their property division, because yep. by that point I'd been bitten by the property bug and I really wanted to sort of further my career in, in property. Mm. I um, So I spent two years in their margin lending, investment lending division, and then three years wow. in their property area in prudential and compliance, which was interesting because it gave me a lot of oversight into large property developments and, and sort of how corporate... Yeah. Sort of property but it wasn't actually what i wanted out of a career so what was your what was your if you don't mind me asking what was your salary at that on on that job just to give a bit of comparison to what salaries are now versus yeah. what property is now as well It'd be cool to see if you yes. remember i i don't even know i what think mine was. Yeah, my graduate salary was thirty-eight thousand. i have no that's, idea what it is that's these pretty days. good back in the early yeah that that's i mean Given that, given if you go to a, an accounting firm now, one of the big four accounting Deloitte, KPMG, some of those salaries are roughly around that still. Like you're oh, probably wow. on about fifty or fifty-five. So thirty-eight k yeah. for a graduate back in sort of yeah mid two thousands, yeah. pretty good yeah. salary. 
it is the, mil- the millionaires factory i was shocked it wasn't i wasn't getting a million to start yeah with. yeah well i mean I've, I've spent a bit of time macquarie myself and the millionaires factory I, if i had a dollar for every time somebody said oh a million i'd be i'd actually probably be a millionaire now what's a millionaires factory that's just a nickname for the company because they they pay out paid out ridiculous bonuses did lavish parties and yeah haven't you heard that joe like, and nah. and then it all stopped after the GFC. So free GFC. It, everyone <laughs> and everyone ran out of money. They're like, we should slow this. We should slow this. Well, they just, slow this yeah, down just it, a little bit. It's kind of like, yeah, it was an interesting place. I imagine it would have been. And I've heard stories of, but yeah, let's let's kind of let's. Oh, I don't know. I could sort of keep talking about this because I kind of want to. I kind of want to know more. It's like a a journey. I, I feel like I'm I'm getting to know really know your property journey. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Maybe should we just continue, Joe, or should we talk property? What is for? That's what we're here for, Jeff. What's all about? What is the property journey? Okay. All right. Okay. We'll sort of we're going to f- sort of divert a little bit from from the from the pre notes. So how did you progress? That's the question I want to know. How did you get from buying one bedroom and studio bedroom units? What what was the the light bulb moment that said, you know what, we can do this, we can make more? And then what was that more? So I suppose I went into a bit of a diversification strategy. I started actually. I went into Logan before Logan was probably even a thing. Um, and bought a house in Eagleby um, in 2005, wow. really early on. Yeah. I started reading about, you know, I had an income that I wanted to sort of, um, you know, use negative gearing. I um, went into looking at depreciation because I bought a fairly new house. Um, so I really was into diversifying, going from a higher cash flow but smaller property into a property with some a bit of land. So, you know, there was a bit more mm. potential growth down the track. And moving into interstate to sort of diversify, move away from land tax, and also sort of have a bit of that diversification in different asset, different types of property assets. So I ended up buying a couple of houses over subsequent years. Um, Then I thought, well, I'll go back to doing a bit of reno because that first property went pretty well with a cosmetic reno. So I sort of did a few of those. And then I quit my job at Macquarie and thought I'd be a buyer's agent. So again, Ooh. really early on. What, what, what was the time this, that you? Um, what was the time you were looking at buyer's agency in? In um, yes. So I think it was about 2012. Wow, because I, I don't really. I mean, there might have been one or two. I mean, of the bigger ones, you had the right property group, which is still um, still coming around. And I think Nathan Birch was just starting up with being invested back then. Uh, I hope that's right, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. And I, I know Margaret Lomas had um, your, your trying to remember, Destiny, Destiny Financial. But mm-hmm. aside from those sort of bigger names, I don't I don't think buyer's agent was very, very trendy back then. No. How'd you, how'd you fall into buyer's agent. agent work? So I actually didn't enjoy it too much. I thought... <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> I thought I would quit my job in corporate and go and help people buy property and uncover these amazing investments. But ultimately, I found myself chasing leads, trying to sell myself, trying to sell a dream to someone that may not be so sold on it. Um, but I, at that time, they had a, a property management division. So it actually showed me that I actually wanted to lean towards property management more. Um, what type of products that, were you selling? So oh. it was existing properties in blue chip oh. area. So it aligned very well with my existing strategy. And actually, the first day for my interview, um, the director said, oh, you've got, at the, at the time, about seven properties. And they said, how many were built, bought off the plan? And I said, zero. And they basically said, great, you're hired. 
<laughs> it ticks, ticks out. You, you, you're not, you're not a spruce. Does tick guy. our box. Does tick our yeah. box. Don't buy yes. off the plan. That's the rule. Rule one. Rule one. Rule two rule is one. don't buy house and land. <laughs> yeah, and if you've got seven already, they they're like, what you're doing must be working, and you're only in your twenties. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any 20-year-old that's got seven, you're in good stead. Yeah. yeah. Not quite 20. I think I was probably, I don't know. What 20s. It was like, so, yeah. Late yeah. 20s by then, nearly yeah. 30. But so, and, and then so you, you said you, you picked up, you, there, was a, there was the two studios and a, and a couple in the sort of Logan area. How, how did you decide to pick the parts of Logan to, to invest in? What were the metrics that you were looking at back then? So I was pretty young. I really picked up Australian Property Investor magazine, flipped it from read it from cover to cover, and kind of went, "Hey, this area sounds good." <laughs> and then I just flew up there for a long weekend um, yep. with my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, and we would go and see every property in the market in a particular area. And then by the end of the weekend, I'd go, oh, "I really like that one." So we would I just bought bought it. So it was sort of there wasn't a lot of analysis back then. I think I was more working on you know gut instinct um it made sense to the portfolio at the time and it made sense for me to to, to put that piece of the puzzle into look you know what it was looking at overall what i already owned so i just didn't overthink it and just went ahead and did it yeah okay that's super interesting because it's so easy to get wrapped up with, and this is probably the, the problem that we have in this day and age, right? There's so much data, there's so much analytics. You've got RP data pumping out everything. Real estate has its own information. Domain has it all its own information. You've got you've got you've got news.com.au every second day saying the property market's going to drop by thirty five percent, and next day it's seventy eight percent, and and they just there's always sort of so much conflicting news, so much noise, whereas. I imagine you, you you seem a very calm and, and very methodical person. So you sort of you, you knew that that was the area you wanted to invest in. You mm -hmm. had a, a, a reasonable idea of what you could sort of borrow and what sort of yield and what you're looking to achieve and how it fit into the puzzle. So I think that's where the the using property as a vehicle. You weren't emotional about. You weren't sort of worrying too much about it. You were saying, okay, here's what. Um, because did you have a did you have a set goal you were keen to achieve at that stage? Did you have a, a passive income sort of thing that you were looking at? Not, not really. I mean, I knew I had a long, you know, a lot of years ahead of me and yep. I was really starting out on my career. So it wasn't really about retirement or having a set goal. It was really about building as much as I could. And every year or two when I sort of had a little bit more equity, I would refinance, unlock that equity and then say, well, let's look at what I can buy next. So it was really in the building phase in the first decade, sort of in my 20s. Okay. So did you have like a, a set LVR limit that you wouldn't go above that you would say, you know what, actually, we're going to stick at 70% LVR or were you just pushing it to 90 or like, what were you thinking? Or were you even not even thinking about that saying, I can unlock the equity, give me. <laughs> so it was always 80 was really the, the limit for me, um, only because I didn't really want to spend the money on the LMI. Um, yeah. And I was fortunate because I'd had sort of a few properties that were growing behind me, I could get that equity out. And when then when I did a reno or I'd sell a property, it also gave me that extra equity to go and take the next step into something bigger. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you went from renovation, did you were you doing bigger and bigger renovations or was it just purely basic cosmetic? What what kind of stuff did you do? So I did a couple of cosmetic ones to existing properties and then I went, Hey, I'm great at this. I'm gonna go and jump in the deep end and build four townhouses. So I bought a block of land 
and then realized I had no idea how to build townhouses. <laughs> <laughs> so all I did was go on the council website, check their LEP and DCP, and knew that I was allowed to build townhouses on this block of land. But yeah. really, the whole process took me over 18 months to get them approved. There yeah. was a lot that I ran into around stormwater issues and around what the council would and wouldn't approve, even though in theory they could approve it. Um, and after the 18 months, it really got to the point where it was getting painful to hold. The market had gone down. I still didn't have any builders that, you know, that I could trust to work with. And I just got to a point where I was like, no, I need to get out and, and walk away from this project. So I got the DA wow. approval, but I walked away and lost money. Was this wow. was this on on property? Is this on a Sydney? Uh, this is back in Sydney, is it, or is this still up in Queensland? No. So all my anything that I've done to add significant value has been in Sydney. So yeah, this was in the St George area near where I grew up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, St George. Yeah. Wow. Gee, I, I I hope you don't um I hope you don't look at that one these because you probably would have picked that up around 2013. I think you said we were chatting before the show. Yes. Yeah. 20. Well, actually it was purchased around 2011 and sold around 2013. Yeah. Jeez. I, I, I hope you don't look at that now. What, what that side well, is. What is, what is for, what's for townhouses worth. Well, what, um, so you lost money on it, but you got the DA, like, do you, I don't know about regret the decision because it's allowed you to learn and blah, blah, blah. But like, would you have kept it knowing what you know now, would you keep it or would you continue to sell it and go down that path? Look, I learnt a lot from it. It was a really good reality check as well as a learning curve for me. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not the sort of person that looks back and feels, I guess, any sort of real regret. I'm more, yeah, yeah. well, pretty much straight away I jumped into another property. Um, so it's sort of I'm better to rebound into a new project than I am at sort of digressing over the past. Yeah. Well, financially, would it have been... So I guess the reason I ask is we had someone in the group reach out to, he wrote a post and he said, look, I just bought this property about six months ago. It's in this area. I've had to replace parts of the roof. I've had to do the new water heater. I've had to do um, minor renovations on it. I've had to sort out the stormwater. I've had to do all this stuff and I've spent you know, 15, 20, 30 grand on the thing. And it's been very difficult for me and I'm so sick of it, but I know it's a subdividable site and I just want to get out though because it's it's been so difficult and you know one side of the coin is like wow this is overwhelming there's so much bad stuff that's gone onto it but then the flip side of it is well you've just done all of the hard yards there's nothing else that's going to break by normal maintenance right you can't the roof isn't going to break again because you fixed it um unless you need to fully replace it like the the store you've got a hot new hot water heater you've got a new air con so i guess from your perspective like would have, have been was it a good idea to sell it anyway, even though you lost money? Um, or would you have said, you know, I really should have stuck it out and made it because it would have worked? Yeah. I think in your example, that investor would now just sit there and do nothing and continue to buy and hold their investment, which mm -hmm. makes sense. And, you know, it's just a run of bad luck really for them. Whereas yeah. for me, I had a, a almost at the time an insurmountable hurdle in actually then having to build these townhouses without mm. having the experience of building anything from scratch. Yeah. So I think at the time it was the right Different. decision for me to walk away and go back to sort of the starting blocks with something, mm -hmm. you know, that I could learn from as opposed to then having to take that leap of faith and find a builder and and build and not know if I was building a good product or, or you know, not not know what I don't know. 
How did you pick that? Um, what was the process for selecting that that type of property in in St George? Like, how did you stumble upon this property? I think I just got overexcited, saw the huge block size, and saw that I could build a development there. And you know, and everyone's talking about being a developer, and I really love property. And yeah. I just thought, well, you know why not? I, I guess I, I, and people have told me along the way, I'm, I'm always very optimistic. So <laughs> I tend to run late to things because I think there's no traffic coming because I'm so optimistic. It's a good way to look at it. Um, yeah, but and, and if the... I was looking back, I probably would have told myself not to have done that. You know, there's no chance I would do it again in terms of not really having understood, you know, the, the hugeness of, of what I was doing. Mm, yeah, exactly. You can read as many books as you want, but you need that experience of like hands-on of dealing with and actually finding builders in the real world is very different to like, oh, you just go on the yellow pages and uh, you're good to go or Google. Um, but what I love about this is it didn't stop you. Like this, these situations, what you're talking about, I would have stopped so many people from continuing on and said, you know what, screw it, I'm done with property, this is BS. Um, but you were like, no, no, this is just a part. This is just a speed bump. This is a minor thing. I've lost a little bit of money, but I've made all of this money. So how did you kind of re what you said? You went straight into another deal or what did that look like? Yeah. So I think I, there were some pretty, you know, difficult and dark days, but yeah. I think I went, well, I need to take a step back and look at what I know and, and still my love is property. So I went, we went into a, a, a terrace in the inner west. So something we could live in, something that was, you know, a, a lot smaller and a lot more manageable was an existing property, but we could see that it needed a lot of reno work. Um, and that then enabled me to sort of cut my teeth on being an owner builder, doing a small DA, going through that approval process and then the CC process of hiring the builders and getting the work done. But it was so much more manageable and it's what I sort of, recommend the people I speak to if they want to get into development I would say start small with an extension sort of a DA and, and unless unless you've um yeah the, the only the only reason I wouldn't um is is where you've got either time or, or a lot of energy or money because I think I think with yourself you, you're probably sort of getting yeah I, I tend to agree like small particularly that because you don't know what you don't know um something something you mentioned there I want to sort of um ask you ask you dig a bit more into the owner builder. So you actually you project managed the the subcontractors and how did how did that process go? Because I imagine with finance, I mean, I, I know Richard, your your partner was he a broker at that stage? No, no. So he had his own corporate job okay. in yep. sort of fast moving consumer goods. So not yep. related at all to finance. Yep. But he was along for the ride as my partner. Um, yep. We were married by this point, so we um. Yeah, but he's he's never been as involved in property as as I have. So he just sort of holds my hand. If I need him to choose a paint color, he will. But um, I I was referred to these great carpenters, but they said, "Hey, we only work as carpenters. We don't have a builder's license. So why don't you go and get your own owner builder?" So I went, "Sure, why not?" Um, which then meant that I was responsible for the build site and. Yeah. You know, a story I tell often is they would send me to Bunnings and go, hey, we needed some screws. And I would go and buy five packs because I didn't know which ones they wanted. And everything's returnable at Bunnings, right? And then I would go back <laughs> to the carpenter and go, here's the the you know screws you requested. And they'd be like, hang on, we asked for nails. Why did you bring screws? 
That'd be something I'd do too. Yeah. Yeah. But I really learnt over the like you know the course of that sort of year a whole lot about how the houses were put together, about how long it took to do things. You know, from the inside out, I watched them, and I lived. We lived in this house, and then I was pregnant at the time as well, which ended up being more and more difficult. But um, yeah. we, we were right there throughout the whole journey of the house being built and the extension coming together and all the internals and the externals coming um, together. So it really was a huge amount of learning that I had. From, from, from what I'm gathering, it sounds like you don't do things in half measures. You, you, when you do something, you really you go full, in, full on. Like you, you sort of, you're either going to, you're not going to sort of outsource, you're actually going to get your hands dirty. So I, I wouldn't, wouldn't surprise if you're actually kind of swinging the hammer as well, sort of with the, with the, with the nails and sort of doing us <laughs> this stuff as well. With the screws. Yeah. yeah, one night I had to connect the underfloor heating because no one else was around to do it. And the next day wow. it was being covered up. Jeez, that's, that's I just impressive. read the instruction manual, had someone check it the next day. It wasn't electrical. It was just sort of some cabling and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm not afraid to get in there. How, how, how did the financing go with, with that particular project? Because um, knowing a little bit about sort of finance myself, because as soon as you go to a, a lot of time when you go to a lender or a broker, they'll own a builder, they'll sort of say, well, they'll cap that, cap the borrowing capacity at about 60 or 65 or 70%. Mm -hmm. So how did that process go for you? So because it was an existing house and yeah. a still a, a somewhat functional house, we just got the lending at 80% as an owner-occupied loan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the extension work, it probably ended up costing about $150,000, $180,000. So we really just funded that from savings. And go. then we refinanced at the end and was able to unlock that equity. Yeah. So how did you – so you – slowly but surely progressing let's talk about some of the current the deal so you've got two projects on the go at the moment like what what are they like now like what have you progressed to <laughs> hang, hang on joe joe joe's kind of have we have we missed a whole bunch of learning throughout this process mel have we jumped ahead too far yeah i think you've skipped about eight years so a lot's happened in those eight years. <laughs> give, us, give, give us a run for it what, what have you what what because i think there was another project you did in the inner west um Around yeah, 2015. So, yeah. So after a couple of these, and I did after the first terrace, I did another one, which was even bigger. Um, so it really helped me learn even more. Um, then I did a, a couple of flips, um, had another baby. Um, so it was easy for me to work for myself in a way um, and, and do these projects. Um, mm. Then I built two sets of duplexes, one very successful, one not so much. Um, then I did a joint venture and built some townhouses in the east. Um, then I decided to sort of scale back. Um, I actually had a bit of a health scare. Um, Richard, my husband, decided to start his own business. He was well and truly bitten by the finance bug um, and quit his job to be a mortgage broker. I decided to start my own property management business. COVID happened. Um, then I bought some sites at the start of COVID. So it was actually a very fortunate time to buy um, two blocks of land. And now I'm building those two properties. There we go. Wow. That's eight years in, in two minutes. And a Ferrari. We forgot. We didn't we got to mention the Ferrari. <laughs> We've gone from RX7 to Ferrari. Much yes. faster. I could 80, talk about um, cars for just as long, but I won't. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm very tempted. Very tempted to. Um, anyone in the comments who's watching, throw in what section of what uh, Mel just spoke about there would you like to dig deeper in? Because I'm actually interested. While this comes up, I'm interested to hear about you had a a duplex that went well, and then you had a du well, you had a duplex that did not so well, and then you had one that went well. Can you talk to those two? What did what did they look like? Like, what were some of the things looking back? Um, that made this first duplex not do as well, and then what made the next one do even better? How does it? How did it kind of look? So interestingly, it was the first duplex that went well, and the second one that oh. didn't go as well, which is interesting because you expect that really with the learnings from the better. first one, it should yeah. get better. Um, and it really was probably um, the market was quite a big big part of it. That at the second at the time when the second duplex was ready to sell, it really was a poor time in the market, and that was when the elections were happening back five, four, five years ago. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was the market just the day we marketed it. I think sixty minutes came out with a story about the market dropping forty percent. Oh, that one. That yeah, that day. That's right. The infamous <laughs> one. Right. Right. Yeah, and also I think I I went a little bit. Um, too big on the product so you sort of i didn't look at the mm. demographic as much and in a downturn market people get pickier and it wasn't quite what they wanted in that market even though sort of five minutes away in my when i built my first set of duplexes it was almost as the identical product and it sold really really well um so the market can be fickle and sometimes it can catch you off guard and did building prices change at all? I mean, that's one of the big things right now where, where people are struggling. The The build cost is going up in price um, with inflation. Was was that a factor into it or was it pretty much the same build cost? No, it was similar, very much similar build costs and it was the same yeah. builder. We did have a oh, few wow. challenges in the second one around sort of stormwater. We had some problems with the council and the street and having to restore some heritage sandstone just live sometimes every time i do a project some new little thing will pop up that you don't expect and it's always some complicated problem that you have to resolve um and sometimes it costs you money and time and it's just one of these things yeah i think that's uh that, that's the thing you learn when you're doing like renovations probably not so i mean correct me if i'm wrong here but in in the sort of renos i've seen and done Renos, you, you, you typically don't have some ma massive delays unless you've got super suppliers delays, which we may have. But developments, they're, they're the sort of projects that there usually is one or two things that will delay it by maybe, I don't know, two, three, four, five months. And, and there's some people that can occasionally get not get away with it, but if they're building a product they built over and over again, they might be able to not have the delay. Mm -hmm. But particularly where, you, where you're building um, in, in a newer area or building a new type of products, that that's there'll be one or two things that will will uh, throw the time frame out by a little bit yeah and that's why development is so much riskier um than than renovation where ultimately you probably can still live in the property or you can let it drag out a bit longer and not have those huge holding costs piling up or the market turning on you as much yeah what, what were you um with, with with these developments um with, with your feasibilities what, what were you sort of mm -hmm. were you basing it um, where you got you had comparable sales that you were sort of looking at. And, yeah, what the feasibility look like when you were doing those developments then? So we've always worked off around about a twenty percent margin. Mm -hmm. So the feasibility was always, you know, there was a, a sort of worst case, which was probably more like a break even, um, and and a you know a great scenario, which would be more than twenty percent. And you'd always hope to land somewhere around 
the 15 to 25%, I suppose, as a range. Um, and I'm more of a back of the envelope, big picture person, whereas Richard, my husband, is very much into spreadsheets and he'd have all the scenarios mapped out. So we did go through all that detailed feasibility process, but sometimes you end up, you know, at your worst case scenario. We didn't lose money on the second set of duplexes, but I did event essentially work for 18 months for nothing. <laughs> yeah, so opportunity costs is the biggest, yeah. But that's, that's still not a bad result though, because um, there, there's some horror stories out there. People that have really lost money from, from development. So yes, yeah. Yeah, well, you we lost a, a Lamborghini with our first development. <laughs> we count we count our losses in cars or our gains. <laughs> you lost a Lamborghini. <laughs> Hopefully, not a Countach. <laughs> no, no, just a Huracan. Okay, <laughs> you've lost me. <laughs> um, that's that's awesome. So you've had some real difficulties in property, and it just hasn't slowed you down. Just hasn't stopped you. Like, what's your kind of mental framework around that? Like, how do you just keep going and keep at it? And I know it might sound like it's just every day for you, but I know that there's people out there that, um, that you know, I I can fall for, I fall for it as well. Where um. You're just like, you know what, actually, screw it. Let's just, I'm not, I'm not going to do it anymore because it's too hard. But what, what do you have around that? I just saw a question that said, have you had a McLaren? <laughs> so, no, Well, I there it is. Haven't. There's the answer. I, I haven't got my McLaren yet, so I need to, uh, I need to get there. And I'm not going to get there by working nine to five. <laughs> yeah, I need one of each in the garage. <laughs> um, no, so... I, I think my mindset's always been that I'm super ambitious. So it's always about wanting that little bit more or not quite feeling like I've got there yet. Um, and, and really, I, I, I have such a love for property. It sort of fits in with my really hands-on approach where I can add value in, in lots of different ways. Um, and I've tried other assets. I've tried shares and other things, and they just have not gelled with me. Um, and so for me, it's really just a, a continuous sort of desire to want to sort of reach for the next project or, or get into the next, you know, next thing. Um, mm. I, I can't really explain it any more than that. Yeah. Okay. And from, this is obviously your investment vehicle, right? Outside of the Ferrari, which is the vehicle that you, you invested in um, properties that, yeah, properties, that vehicle for you. Um, I lost my question. I had a great question there. I still think about Joe. It'll come back. I, I, I wanted to. I wanted to. So, with these two most recent sites, what what, what do they look like, and and how did you you picked up during COVID? So, did you, you saw an opportunity there? Yeah. So both were bought off market. Um, one in the east, which we're building to live in as a home, yeah. and one in the inner west, just through an agent contact of mine. And I think it, it was it highlights how useful it is sometimes to build those agent relationships. Um, because then they think of you and they, they know me as sort of a, a local small developer. So mm. they got in touch with me and said, hey, I'm, this site's coming up and, you know, if you can make the numbers work, we'll we'll have a go at putting an offer into the, the owner. Um, so they're both now at the similar stage of sort of framing up, about to sort of get to lock up. And um, I think there's a bit of scale there in using the same builder, in sort of being able to, you know, order windows from the same company. So they're the two that I'm sort of focused on at the moment, trying to get one finished so I can move in and one that we can sell and then look for the next project. Awesome. Found my question. My question was, why property? 
why why is property the thing that you're after like why what is it from i guess a numbers perspective like why why not invest in shares it's like i know it's not like it doesn't fit with you and it hasn't worked shares haven't worked for you but why is it prop why property is your investment vehicle um i think it's just because i'm hands-on and there's in property i see three ways to sort of I guess, make money. Um, one of them is buying, buying well, buying to the right market, buying at the right time, um, then adding value, whether it is just a reno or, you know, changing the floor plan, being able to furnish a property and rent it for a higher rent, being able to knock it down and subdivide, rebuild, you know, there's so many different strategies and things you can do. And then looking at sort of selling it and hopefully selling it well, marketing it well, um, presenting it to the market the best that you can. So there's, there's a whole host of ways, I guess, you can build wealth through property. Or if you don't sell it, just hold it for a very long time. Um, so, you know, it's a very, very powerful way to leverage your time and your money. Yeah. And, and my thing is, is if the banks are willing to lend 80, 90, in some cases, 100% of the money, it's it's you're only putting in a hundred thousand dollars and you're owning a million dollar asset it's absolutely it's absolutely crazy and then the banks come back to you and they're like no 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 we don't want any of the cash flow we don't want any of that stuff we want just a little bit of money back like we just want some interest um we don't want any of your upside no we don't care about that you take all of the upside we just take a little bit of interest on from you now say a little bit it's kind of getting a little bit more and more each uh i, each I think RBA i think I'll, I think I'll become a bank joe i mean geez i'm gonna oh. i'm gonna create money that doesn't exist and then lend it to somebody that sounds yeah, pretty good to me like i'll, I'll be a bank. True. Like, yeah, i think yeah, that's how well, the gfc happened yeah. yeah that's where we went wrong um i'm interested to hear um about the sydney market as well so you're you've been a property manager for um for a number of years now and your husband's a, a mortgage broker so let's dive deep into the um property management world and how you're seeing the sydney market because the brisbane uh the melbourne market the uh, the sydney market has a bit of a stigma at the moment where it's like don't even don't even go there because it's one too expensive and two it's it's on the decline what are we meant to do? Um, so I'd love to unpack that. What we're going to do is go to our sponsored post and then we'll jump straight into learning about the Sydney market, if that's cool. There's nothing worse than going into a situation unprepared, especially when that situation is purchasing one of the most expensive assets of your life against a trained property expert in the form of a real estate agent. It's a scary thought but it is a skill that can be taught. Do you want to learn how to become fully prepared when buying a property so you can get out there, buy your dream home or investment property without the fear of actually messing it up? Scott Agate, the founder and expert property negotiator at Hello House, has been helping people buy their properties by stepping in and negotiating with the agents and saving his clients tens of thousands and in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars. Scott has now decided to share all that he's learned over the past 28 years in real estate so you can go out there and do the exact same thing on how to find a property, analyze that property, negotiate on that property and transact on it to get the best results. He's created the Get Buyer Ready course which is a step-by-step -step guide on how you too can become an expert property negotiator. It's the easy way of how you can avoid all of these agent games and get the best purchase price on that dream home or your investment property. The course is in short bites for busy people with no fluff at all. Just all the information you need to get buyer ready and secure that next property with confidence 
at the best price. Scott has been kind enough to give our community a massive discount with the link below. Sign up today before you even think about putting an offer on that next property and it will be one of the best decisions you ever make. Here we go. So I think that's um, an, an interesting course we got, got from got from young Scott. But the um, I, I saw some of the questions that, that popped through, and I, I want to I, I love I love loving some of these questions. Let's let's talk. Um, let's see. You were just talking about. So this is Brendan, and he's a regular watcher of the show. He said, "How do you measure enough? What what is the break even therefore when you start doing things because you are uh, you are able to you are able not to be." You are not able to be be you have to. <laughs> wow, you really you really nailed that really nailed that question. No, no, there, it's, Jeff. it's the order of the question though. Therefore, you, when you start doing things because you are able, you don't not have to. Have you don't have to do them. You do things because you can, not oh, okay. because you have to. Right. I was just reading it as is though. I've been stitched up, Joe. But um, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Like, how do you measure enough? Like, is there ever going to be enough? Is yeah. it going to be a bit of a game of monopoly? Well, for me, I guess property and even going into work in my office every day, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like a choice. It feels like, I know, I'm just going about doing what I, I love as opposed to something that I have to do. So I think it's it's fantastic to be able to choose something that you're passionate about so that work isn't really work anymore. But at the same time, I am, you know, we're, we're just hit our 40s and looking at potential exit strategies over the next 10 years looking at well when is enough and how do we then prioritize our family over maybe our businesses or that wealth building that's driven us for the last two decades mm. and what was there a, a moment was it like is this just a gradual progression that we go through as as investors um that we go hard initially and then start to turn to those things and think about it um what did it kind of evolve for you how, how did it evolve for you yeah. So I think it really now comes down to delayed gratification. And it's not something that was put into those terms when I was younger, but it was yeah. a bit of an inherent thing to save and to try and, you know, put away things for the future. Um, yeah. and, and maybe the car is a good example of us now sort of reaching some of our goals and being able to do things that we enjoy um, and spend money on something that's not going to generate potentially an income, but really something that will make us happy. Mm. And by car, what are we talking about? What car are we talking about? So we ordered a, 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 well, we got talked into it somehow. We weren't going to buy a, a, such an expensive a Ferrari, but we ended up ordering a brand new F8 Tributo, um, which arrived earlier this year. And it's kind of like having a third child now. I sort of spent a lot of time with the car. <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up. What do you do I, with I, the yeah, car? <laughs> I, I feel I feel so out of my depth with these cars. I'm just like, they, I, I suppose cars is not not ever excited me. Like if somebody well, just picture a like, Ferrari, Jeff. Picture a yeah, Ferrari I mean, I know what a in Ferrari your head, is. a red one. That's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> it's yeah. exactly oh, maybe that. I can just put a picture of the car on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> but a, but a, exactly yeah, I'm, I'm the sort of person I really like to understand the nuance, nuances, nuances. Oh, here we go. Of uh, of each and every sort of of different topics because I'm I'm not sort of I like to dig deep. But the um the interesting thing though, I wanted to yeah, so when it? you say exit strategies, oh, oh it's that, like that a photo of my child. Hang on, I got it. It's the opposite. Yeah. There we go. The red one is ours. Yeah. I, I like it. 
I, the, the thing that wor- not not worries me. The thing that concerns about these cars is I just lose my license every two months because mm-hmm. how do you, how do you actually go the speed? I mean, this is not a, this is a rhetorical question, but how do you go the speed limit in 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 these cars? Because I've been in a couple of them, and these people are going. They're just gently touching the the pedal, and it's and and they're going a hut. They're going like 80, 80 90, 100. I'm like, geez, how do you? It's a fair yeah, question. Anyway. How do you do that? You don't get to drive it that much, really. Um, But it's funny because this car's become a bit of a social experiment for me. It's actually become a means to meet other people and sort of, you know, people that are entrepreneurial or that are into investing that normally I wouldn't have met, you know, normally. Yeah, the conversation sort of bridging. Yeah, and it's something that drives conversation. You've got something in common all of a sudden and it's become, yeah, it's its own little sort of world. Yeah, it would be. Um, so exit strategy, what does, um, is that sort of talking from a business perspective or from a property or, or both? Like what what, do, what does that conversation look like? Yeah, so we, we got into our businesses because we loved sort of property so much and we were branched into these separate areas um, because for us it was like, well, we've done it all these years and, it you know, who better to sort of help our clients than, than us that have sort of, I guess, live through it for so long um but now we're getting to a point where it, it is sometimes a little bit taxing that you know our kids are, are getting older and they need more time and we're still spending you know a good i don't know 10 12 hours a day on the business yeah. um and so i'm looking to leverage the businesses a little bit more in terms of still being there and overseeing it but not being in the business more working on the business interesting and um, um... Yeah, I feel like we could go down a massive rabbit hole from the business perspective, but and what does that look like? Just hiring hiring good quality operators that are able to run both of the business, you know, and giving them a larger stake of equity. Yeah, so it does come down to giving staff some equity so that they mm. they have skin in the game, and also mm. just having making sure that your processes and and you know the overarching objectives of the business are very clear. So that as, as the director and the owner, you, my views are, are passed down based on my experiences. Um, and, and because I've got the, uh, the interstate portfolio, we still hold a number of properties around the country. I've dealt with all different property managers and the models and the way they operate. Um, it's made it very clear mm. to me what I want, I guess, as a business owner, which then means I just have to pass it down as, as succinctly as possible. Yeah, mm. that's um, that's that's probably one of the one of the key challenges mm. for a business owner, and, and I know Joe's going to go through through this himself. And I've I've seen him is is actually sort of um, laying those those processes and principles of, of the founder or the, or the key key person of business, and and helping the 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 people that are that are sort of also sort of becoming more seen, taking more responsibility. It's an interesting kind of dilemma because you. I, I struggle to let go of things, so that's kind of yeah, or at least yeah, processes and sort of thing, and sort of seeing, yeah. But it's it's kind of essential. Otherwise, yeah, it's kind of like having a property manager on your property. Like, would I go and change the toilet of, of my property, or would I go and collect the rent? Um, no, I wouldn't. I'd, I'm going to hire a professional to do that for me because they're they're the best people to to do that. I'm not the best person to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and it's it comes down to leverage the best use of your time and being able to make the most of your time while still I guess gaining the most out of uh, those decisions. Mm. Mm. Should, should we comes down to leverage. 
I'm interested about the Sydney market, Jeff. I don't know about you. But oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, I've, yeah, if for people who have seen you comment, like they know that I don't like the Sydney market at all. I mean, I'm being sarcastic <laughs> because there's, whenever I say something, oh, it's, people kind of throw a bit of a jive at me and say, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I do I do quite like Sydney. I grew, grew, grew up there. but um, So, yeah, tell us about what are you seeing as a property mm-hmm. manager and, and what, what do you sort of see sort of pockets that, that you follow um, quite closely from a, from a rents and, and from a, how is it holding up from a capital um, sort of growth thing as well? Yeah. What are you sort of seeing? So we've had quite a bit of a shift in the last three months. So winter, things were fairly quiet. And then all of a sudden in the last three or four months, things have shot up in the lower end of the market. So this is really only Sydney Metro where I operate. So about 15 kilometres right. around the CBD. So yeah. inner west, inner east, lower north shore mostly. Um, we found that the lower end has really disappeared. So any properties that are sub 400, 450 even, have now reversed to what happened at the start of COVID. So the COVID, everybody left and all the smaller properties became really hard to rent and dropped probably about 20%. And now they've probably gone up over the last six months, probably 25 to 30%. Um, oh, wow. Because everyone's moved out back out from you know the home or sharing or they've come back in from overseas or interstate and so suddenly that whole segment of the market has really shifted Mm -hmm. Um, but what we're finding in houses is that they never really fell so much Um, and then because we had all this rain in sydney and and because of winter they became less popular Um, so they they haven't fallen they've probably gone up now a little bit as well but definitely not as much as houses. And sometimes we have, oh, sorry, not as much as units, the smaller units. And we have owners going, but don't I have, you know, isn't the market shooting up? Shouldn't we get a huge rent increase? And it really sort of depends. It's not for everybody. Well, the growth of rentals is not for everyone. What what type of assets are growing a lot? Like if if you were to own an asset, regardless of price from a rental perspective, what would it be? Sounds like a unit. So so what I was talking about was the sort of the rental, actual rental value. But I think the asset value, the underlying value of the property um, has has obviously all gone up through COVID. But now I'm seeing because of the huge um, costs in building or renovating, the, the huge labour and the lack of supply, that what's gone out of favour a little bit are properties that maybe need a little bit of reno down the track. So what I would look at buying is something real, really well located that's maybe a little bit of an ugly duckling um, that then you could hold for five years and then renovate. Um, so when when the market comes back around again and it becomes cheaper and easier to renovate, you know, then those properties will shoot up again in value. Are we um are we sort of um because you, you would have your finger on the pulse quite quite a lot here. Are, are builders starting to get a little um little more available because um I I I live in the sort of south coast of, of sort of Sydney or southern parts of Sydney and I'm starting to see builders there, there's there's properties that are going up a lot quicker and they're they're making a lot pro, a lot more progress a lot quicker. So is is that sort of crunch on getting a builder to to come in and, and and, and or even a renovation is that starting to ease up your finding or is that just me wishful thinking not as much um i'm experiencing on the ground and yeah. maybe it's just my build is still very busy um yeah. the the complaint i'm hearing a lot is that the staff are going on holidays or they've already started switching off for christmas or it rains for half an hour and they go home um that maybe COVID has made people a little bit you know i don't know a bit more relaxed 
That's hilarious. Hey, value value a, the time, Joe. Yeah, I do have a friend that's in in construction. He said uh, like salaries have gone absolutely gangbusters. Where he'd be paying someone a hundred thousand dollars, and now he's it has to be one hundred and forty, hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, as opposed to just a little. Well, not a little. One hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money, but and that that has to be passed on. That has to be passed on to to the the end product right that is the cost of, of cost of doing business um so it's interesting interesting to see how that flows on we have a question here that is uh what is the yield that mel is seeing um what what kind of yields are you seeing on um on these properties because that's i mean this is one of the things right this is one of the the questions that comes up a lot is no did sydney's not somewhere to buy because the yields are so low um are there kind of better yielding assets um and is it worth buying a better yielding asset in sydney versus something that's going to grow more what are your thoughts on the yield side of things the yield story for sydney yeah so i'm i'm a property management specialist so my fingers on the sort of pulse for property management but it's harder for me to speak to the actual property value however yeah. from what i can see um yield in these sort of units have got to be improving because the value the asset value has come down and the rents have gone up so that gap has definitely shrunken from a couple of years ago to now <laughs> yeah that's the plus side that's the plus yeah. side of lowering values <laughs> your yields going up <laughs> yeah so Just if you buy now you'll get a better return <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like it okay and what 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 is the typical value for a, a you know a two-bedroom unit in sydney like what should we be expecting well sydney's a big bit broad but i don't know it would be good to understand like a generalized is sydney a two percent yield is a three percent yield is a 3.2 percent i don't know What's well, maybe like? let's look at an example mm -hmm. like yeah. um we have a client that purchased a little house in camperdown so it's an yep. inner city in a west yep. suburb it's near the unis it's a very popular rental suburb, lots of cafes. So I think they paid 1.2 for it. Um, and and we're getting 750 a week in rent. Okay. So, the yield on that. so the yield. 3.9% yield. Is, what? It? Is it? Sorry. No. Sorry, 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 it sorry, right sorry. Now. Hang on. No, it doesn't. Joe's doing Hang public maths. Hang on. 3.25. So that, that's probably not too bad, whereas Sydney typically for houses would probably be below three. Yeah. I mean, then then you look at a unit. You'd probably get a a, a nice two bedroom unit in a, a you know eastern suburbs market like Randwick for maybe two million dollars. Oh, sorry, one million dollars, not two, one. Um, and and you would probably be able to rent that for probably around the same sort of seven fifty, maybe eight hundred dollars a week. So your yield's a little bit better, but but then you get less land. So it's a bit of a, a comparison on what is a better investment long term. Uh, yeah it and it's timing as well like what where in your portfolio uh what stage in your portfolio are you at do you need a better yielder do you need a better growth um do you need more more land and can you do value add on that land but i guess either way if you're buying an inner sydney apartment or a inner sydney you know down, townhouse you can't really do too much value add outside of a renovation yeah i mean there is to a terrace you know there's there's a fit bit, fair bit more you can do in terms of an upstairs extension or a knock out the back and make it an open plan um but yes that's something i would do down the track because of the current situation but it does give you those options and some potential 
Yeah, nice. And what are your thoughts of, um, I guess one of the things is a lot of people have left town, like left Sydney, they've gone to the regions and this is just stereo, like this is just generalizing based on what you see on the media. Um, how do you feel about a big influx of people coming back to Sydney and now that 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 it's going to kind of suffer out in some of those further out locations when people realise like you still have to go to work in the cities? Um, is that something you're seeing a little bit or it's not something you think about? Or, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I see the market has definitely tightened. So where there used to be maybe 40 houses in a suburb for rent, now there might be only 25. So definitely mm. it's a demand and supply relationship. So when the supply is lower, it's going to put upward pressure on, on prices. So definitely I think the people, the exodus caused a gap and then property rents dropped. And now you're seeing the result of them all coming back in. And, and that's why there's so much rent growth. Yeah, I think I think the interesting thing as well is, and I, I, don't, I don't know that we've seen a lot of it um, play uh, play out yet, but you've got the immigration people sort of moving into Australia, and mm -hmm. and typically they're going they're going to go to your places like your Sydney, your Melbournes, your Brisbane. So yes, they might go to Adelaide, they might go to Perth as well, and depending on their visa, they might go to sort of Hobart. But yeah, I think that's that's potentially where. Um, but it's then how sustainable is 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 that sort of thing. But if you're having sort of immigration come into the bigger cities, does that then sort of put pressure on even the local renters to which then, as you say, supply and demand? Because if there's if there's more demand and sort of subsequently doesn't supply doesn't come on because of building costs, um, then rents probably are are likely to rise. Yeah, and I think we've only seen a portion of that immigration come in in the last. You know, six 12 months i think there's a lot more of it to come yeah we kind of we kind of need um i'm interested to know i want to get back to your developing sort of so when when you're when you're developing are, are, you, are you because it sounds like you sell a lot, a lot of the um a lot of product do you ever sort of any or, or is there ever a, a time where you look to to keep some of those or is it dependent on the deal okay i suppose yeah, I suppose the ones I've done so far, it's made sense to sell and reuse that capital for the next project. Yep. And and we do something called rent developing. We have till this house is built. <laughs> so we're basically using our capital instead of rent vesting, where I'm using it for development. So I'm, I'm developing with it, but I, I still rent. Um, and it makes a lot of sense for me because instead of buying a home where I just sit and wait for the value to rise, I actually take that money and do something active instead of passive with it and, and can grow that capital. Have you um have, have you bought that domain name? No, I should trademark the word. <laughs> I was gonna yeah, the, the only the only problem I would say is it it might uh, it might ar ar arise some um some some interest from the ATO, the the rent developer, because they, they might sort of say, well, are you um yeah, depending on the capital gains with, with that sort of thing. So yeah, but, but rent developer, that, that's a that's a new term because there's all these kind of entrepreneur like like entrepreneur like there's um solopreneur there's all these kind of new funky terms they're throwing out there these days well yeah i'd love to talk to that rent developing strategy a little bit because i don't know like it's very interesting like so what do you do you buy a site develop it and then move into it um for six yeah. months and live in it six months a year two years and then you're like, actually, you know what? I want to move on. I don't like, it's not new anymore. I want to sell it and move on to the next lot. Well, we don't really, I buy it as a company. So as a 
project. Uh-huh. It's not one that I'm going to live in. The, the mm-hmm. house that we're building is going to be a home for us um, just because we thought we'd settle down with the kids and give them a pool and a, a proper place because they've moved around with us a bit. Um, but, yeah, no, the developing strategy is more about being able to utilise the funds to, to add value to it in a development while yep. renting and, and sort of not having to have those funds tied up. Mm, okay, okay, I, I understand. I was going more down the one of the strategies you hear people utilizing and I think it's a great thing to start out with is is buying a house or developing a house and then living in it and not having to pay the the capital gains tax on certain things but that's a whole new world we don't need to talk about tax side of things it's going too deep but um find it very interesting an interesting way to go about building building wealth um so in terms of the development side of things like we're in one of the hardest times i feel like if you read the media uh in development how did you go about actually building and and was this a concern that the building prices were going to skyrocket and you were going to actually lose money like how did you factor that into your your feasibility because you know these sites take you know months and months many months to get well i think that the feasibility at the time has kind of gone out the window um, the build costs have gone up, but at the same time, the land value and the finished product costs have gone up. So uh, luckily, yeah. the equation has continued to balance itself in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, at the time, there was no way of predicting what was going to happen and the impact of COVID on the market. So all you can do at the time is build your feasibility based on the existing information and then hang on and sort of hope that the market you know, stays strong. I love that. I love that you spent the past 20 years building up all this knowledge, resources, tools, tips, and tricks. And then the other, the, the end result is hope and pray and <laughs> just yeah. hope and yeah. pray that the prices continue to go up. No, yes, I know that's, I know that's not what you're, you you're not saying. You get a product that you hold on to and then hope and pray with the good product in your hand. Yeah. Yes. I, I think, I think the, um, I think the thing that you're sort of getting at, and I know Joe was being a bit facetious, but the is that you can't control what the market does. The market will do like uh, inflation could continue to sort of rise or, or stay as it is, and if it does, they may continue to increase interest rates. Which, which, um, but but I think the the interesting thing you've and you've probably done is you've focused on um, building a product that that matches very well to the demographic, regardless. Like you're not going out and building something uh, a, a, a McMansion for that particular area. You're building a very sort of a, a, a product that a lot of the market's going to be able to buy comfortably and, and and will want to buy. So regardless of whether interest rates continue to rise a little bit, there, there'll still be a, a big a good amount of demand for this type of product, and whether it yeah. might come back five or ten percent. But yeah. Yeah, and my specialty in a way is being sort of the higher end of the market and buying in markets that are fairly robust, I suppose, and yeah. and um, understanding those demographics and knowing what the market wants in a finished product is, is very important. Yeah, I was going to say, how important is that um, to choosing the right end product? Like, is it because is, this is something I think not many people think too much about and put too much energy in. They're like, I'm going to build a house. I just need to build a house. But how important is it to create you know, stone bench tops for people that want stone bench top versus, you know, just a laminate thing. Yeah, well, I touched on that my duplex 
that didn't go so well, there was a bit of a mismatch between sort of probably what the market wanted and the product that I built. So mm -hmm. there is definitely a huge correlation between finding, you know, how successful a project is and what you put into it. So for me now, I've sort of gotten to know my finished product, I suppose, and, and know the areas where that product, I guess, will fit the demographic. And even in my own home that I'm building, I know it's not going to be a forever home. I'll sell it down the track. So I look at, well, this is the area and it's not exactly what I want in the home. It's what, mm. you know, that future family that's going to live in it is going to want. And yeah. and is the best way to do that is is simply sort of going to a lot of a lot of open for inspections and sort of understand I mean as a property manager you'd know it very well anyway but is for some for the average person yeah and and have conversations with with real estate agents find out you know what their buyers want or you know go to a house that sold well and, and say to the agent you know what did people like about this house um, you know what do people not like about a particular house. Just try to pick an area and and do everything you can to understand that area. Yeah, yeah, and also ask property managers, right? You guys are on the coal face of. I imagine you sit, you pick up the phone to investors, savvy investors that ask those type of questions, like what is this end product? What is selling well? What is renting well? Because what is renting well is also what people actually want in that space. Yeah, and we get a lot of like a couple of buyers agents, a lot of clients and, and contacts that I have contact me saying, hey, I'm thinking about buying this house. What do you think? And I'll always give them a list of pros and cons. Like I'll, I'll say, well, there's no parking in the street and this property doesn't have parking. It's going to limit the number of tenants that are going to want to rent it. Or, you know, this is a, a, you know, a pet friendly property and it's great for pets. And we've got a whole heap of people that, you know, have small pets that want it. So this is going to be a real advantage. It's just those sometimes things that you don't quite think about when you're buying a property, but your property manager is going to know what, you know, what will rent well. Mm. Or even, even, for example, potentially the last 12, 18 months, the, the good old, the, the extra study or the zoom room, because, and, and is, is the, is the um, sort of area that somebody buying a, a white collar professional who do a lot of work for home, in which case the, the zoom room may be more important or maybe it could be a trend. Who knows? Yeah, and we've always got the properties on our books that when they go become vacant, we go, no problem, we'll be able to rent this straight away in the first open. And those that we go, oh, no, this is going to be a little bit of a challenge. And you really want the first type of property, but sometimes when you're buying it, it's hard to tell without, you know, without that help. Yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. Love that. Love that. Um, yeah, this has been an awesome conversation. This has given me uh, some things to think about, but... I guess the enduring theme throughout all of this is, yeah, property sucks sometimes. Like it sucks. Things happen. Accidents, like things out of your control happen. Interest rates rise. Um, properties go vacant. But you've just endured and you've kept going and going and putting putting the effort in and getting um, awesome results from it because you've just compounded the results. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to kind of tick off because I know we spoke about a whole heap of stuff but uh I don't know I'm kind of just cautious of your time it's we've hour and a half in <laughs> yeah well I guess what you were saying just then is that it's not always easy right there's there's going to be difficult days and challenging mm -hmm. times but if it was easy everybody would be doing it and then you wouldn't be able to make you know the money and the profits yeah. that you can so you've just got to endure through those tough times and there's always spanners are always going to get thrown at you um so part of the whole journey is 
you know, sticking in there and also being consistent and, and having some, I guess, some faith in that, you know, it's a long game and that over time it will, you know, the market will change, the cycles will come back. And if, you know, if you're consistent and you can keep at it, you'll have see results. Yeah, we got we got get, get some Q and A. Should we? We'll, we'll throw to a couple of these. Uh, I do do want to be respectful of your time, but we we probably got time for about three or four. So, this do you help? I think the answer is probably yes. But do do you help people with project managing Renaults? Yes and no. <laughs> Depends on yeah, the client. Answers and no. Project. Yeah. <laughs> I will I'm take sure them the on there. often for clients of our property management business. Yeah. So if I know we're going to manage it afterwards or if they're existing clients, it makes it an easier um, relationship. To, so so yes and no. Yeah. It's, it, I yeah, it's very it's hard a... to manage a renovation. Like it's not it's not an easy thing. So yeah. like if you and, are and reaching very, out. It's very, very hard to find someone who will do it and know what they're doing and do it successfully and, and communicate well. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and at the best price as well because anyone can anyone can get carpets paint and flooring but there's one person that's going to get it for 15 grand and there's one person that's going to get it for 35 grand um and they don't care right so it's very important yeah and being a property manager really helps because i'm maybe painting half a dozen houses a year and then i've got mm -hmm. that relationship which then makes it easier to do do an extra couple of houses yeah. And they're willing as well on time. They're like, okay, look, you know, I'll, I'll skip, you know, John down the road because you're you consistently do work with me, so I'm willing to be quicker and come. I'll delay them and I'll I'll put you forward first. Yeah, it's the relationship. Yeah, love that. We've got. Cool. Um, do you have? I think I think we covered this a little bit, but this first. So, do you have a good exit plan? If development is going to cost you down the track. Um, put a put a bow on it and sell. I think that's probably the yeah i get it i guess it's what i've done which is you know sometimes i have to walk away for sanity's sake right so if you know that it's it's going badly then i guess you have to consider all your different options and say do you hold on and and you know will you make less of a loss now than down the track and if the answer mm -hmm. is yes then maybe you should just walk away you know count your blessings and then then try again on a different project yeah because I'm, I'm often i find yeah it's the value of time as well because mm -hmm. and t time and also your energy because, opportunity cost yeah if, if you're going to spend if it's going to result in potentially even a relationship breakdown or something mm -hmm. like that how is, is that is that project is forcing that square peg into a round hole really worth the um the sort of i mean the things that are probably worth more than money uh, is is a is something that people may not consider or may not yeah have. and my health scare was a big one as well because i had an autoimmune thing flare up and probably related to the stress of those developments um uh, made me then i suppose reassess what was important so it there's definitely other things that are more important than money yeah yeah speaking speaking of time and and money but some um, i think we've we could cover off uh, there's, there's plenty of questions people would love to show off um sure maybe one more one more question there was there was one on um software for development or due diligence but if somebody has a burning question they want to ask we'll give it give it 30 seconds there's still plenty of people watching so but whilst we're doing that um joe do you want to give mel an opportunity oh yeah oh you already here well yeah up. i mean he, 
here is um oh actually sorry i'm repeating this one no it would be good to ask if there is anything that you use um how do you met oh god we are back to all yeah now here it is here do you use any software for development or due diligence like what how do you crunch the numbers for the due diligence or is um yeah do you have a software special software or a special spreadsheet no so really it's excel and my husband forcing me to sit down and put the numbers in (laughs) (laughs) yeah he builds the model he's done it himself a hundred times he's like no you to show that you you're you're in this as well you need to enter in the loan it's only as good as the inputs (laughs) there you go garbage in garbage out right yeah Yeah. but it's the it's the experience and the the previous examples and projects i've done that then give me sort of i guess figures that i can use yep yeah yeah, I love that. Well, how can um how can people reach out to you, learn a little bit more about what what you're doing, and and um yeah. Yeah. So my business is Progressive Property. So it's progressiveproperty.com.au, and my email and mobile number are on the website. So they're welcome to reach out. And the mortgage broking side, which is Richard's business, is freedomfunding.com.au. Freedom Funding, great name. Love that. Yeah, not yeah, freedom fighting, freedom funding. <laughs> no, yeah, you'd hope so. <laughs> a little bit more mortgage broking focused. Um, and and uh, in terms of uh, like clients, are there any particular clients that you guys, uh, I guess, property investors, right? Anyone that has a property in Sydney from a property management side of things or looking to buy in Sydney? So if you do have any questions about Sydney, the Sydney market, if you're thinking about getting into it, reach out. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then from and then from the lending side of things, um, any particular client that you work with, or is it just I don't know? The, the yeah, Richard well, watching, yeah. yeah, Richard tends to get a lot of investors because we've been doing all this investing for so long. You know, it, it's quite hard actually to find a mortgage broker who's got the twenty years of investing experience. So he Very ends up hard. getting a lot of people that that love his story and that really then trust in the advice because we've been there and done it. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is a very great, great question uh, comment here. Inspirational, and and I think that that's exactly what this story is. You've gone from buying a one bedroom apartment in Sydney for one hundred and seven thousand, one hundred and five thousand dollars with a seven thousand dollars down, to now crushing it and and running two property businesses in property management mortgage broking and you know the piece the the cherry on top is you're driving a bloody ferrari <laughs> like, if that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't signal something that uh it's not gonna it's not gonna do it for you but it's been a crazy wild ride and you've done incredibly well it is an inspirational story thank you very much for for sharing that with us thanks very and, yeah. much Joe and jeff yeah, and, and um, yeah, just appreciate that we're able to have these conversations with people because, um, yeah, it's, it's it's fantastic to yeah. Thanks to everybody for tuning in, and if you're on YouTube, drop drop a comment and do all that do all that good stuff. And if you do have a property in the in the inner sort of Sydney sort of area, reach out to Mel because um, hopefully you're not going to be too busy. I know I know you got a you're a boutique team, so mm-hmm. you might get a few inquiries now, but um, but hopefully you can, I'm Happy sure you'll help. be able to. But, yeah, all, all the best for those uh, two developments as well. And, and keep us in the loop how it goes. I'm, I'm, I know they'll go very well. So, and uh, people, are, the comments, the thanks are flooding in. So, and thanks. Wonderful here, Freema, who looks back at the serviette kind of investor. Is that, I think that's probably <laughs> Karen. 
Pregnant's Karen. Yeah, that, that, oh, that's Anita. Definitely. Sorry, Anita. <laughs> <laughs> back of the napkin. Well, and this is the thing. If it doesn't work on the back of the napkin, then it's not going to work with your big old feasibility study um, if it doesn't work on the back of the napkin. So I'm, I'm all for it. You got to spend. Yeah, and a couple if it doesn't feel those. right, then it's probably not going to be something that you'll love doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Okay, well, let's wrap it up. Thank you very much, Mel, and uh, let's go buy a property. See you later. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over twenty-five thousand property investors so we can all become better property investors together. Just a quick reminder that anything we covered on this podcast is not considered as financial advice. This is general information only. You need to go and speak with your qualified professionals to understand your unique circumstances as this is general advice only. If you got any value out of this podcast, feel free to recommend us to your friends and leave us a review. Thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day. Let's go buy a property.